This morning's scripture reading comes from two different passages. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 53, as well as Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. You can also follow along on page 7 of your bulletin. Luke chapter 24, verse 46. He told them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be in my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Luke is a disciple of the Apostle Paul who wrote one of the Gospels, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And at the end of the book of Luke, he says, Jesus left them, them, that's the disciples, Jesus left them and he was taken up into heaven. It's what we call the ascension of Jesus. But here in Acts chapter 1, he begins with the ascension. So in essence, the book of Acts picks up where the gospel according to Luke uh, ends. And in both cases, the disciples are told to wait for this power, to wait for a, this gift. This is the significance of the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's actually the trigger that releases the power of God all over the world. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke writes, in, in the former book, in my former book, that's the gospel according to Luke, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do, all that he began to teach until the day that Jesus was taken up to heaven. So essentially, Luke starts by saying, before I showed you what he did, before I showed you what he said, before he was taken to heaven, but that's just the prequel. Now I'm going to show you what he's really doing. Now I'm going to show you what he began to do after he resurrected and after he was taken up to heaven. It was powerful. It's like an explosion, the book of Acts. What caused it? There are four things 
And for the sake of time, I'm going to go very quickly. The importance of the ascension of Jesus, the meaning of the ascension of Jesus, how do you get the power in understanding the ascension of Jesus, and then how do you apply it? The importance, the meaning, the power, the power, and how do you apply it? First, <clears throat> we're going to look at the importance of the ascension of Jesus. Why was it important? In verses 2 to 3, Jesus rose from the dead, and he shows himself to his disciples. They eventually become his chosen apostles. And it says, the text says, he gave them convincing proofs that he was alive. And he did this over 40 days. He was teaching them about the kingdom of God. Why did they need convincing proof? And it's because some of them evidently doubted. There are people in this room right now. You doubt. What does Jesus do? Did it, was he angry at them? Did he banish them? He said, you betrayed me then, and now you're going to betray me now. That's not what he does. He doesn't zap them. No, that's not what he does. He brings them in. He eats with them. He's here with them. He's present with them, and he's present with us right here. And he's, and he's giving us his presence, and he's teaching us just like he did then with the disciples. What does that mean? If you're trying to see what Christianity is all about, the greatest resource you have is right here in Christ's church, hearing Jesus, learning from Jesus, being transformed and shaped by the gospel. In verses 4 to 5, Jesus tells them, wait in Jerusalem for this promise, this gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? On one hand, it means to be cleansed by the Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He applies the gospel into your heart, into your soul, into your life. He applies the gospel to us, but there's more than that. The word baptized also means to dwell in that the Holy Spirit's gonna dwell in you. That the same power that brought Jesus into the world, the same power, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? But then he was raised by the Holy Spirit on the third day, that same power now dwells in you. And in verses seven to eight, because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, Jesus says, you will have power. You will be Jesus' witnesses. You are his representatives. What does that mean? Where you go, Jesus goes. If you teach in the church, where you teach, Jesus teaches. If you like to serve in the church, where you serve, Jesus is serving with you. Where you bless other people, Jesus is blessing other people with you. But then, what happens in this pa passage, in verse 9, he says, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. And then he ascends. He ascends. And in verse 10, the disciples are just watching him. He's kind of passing into the clouds and disappears. They're just watching him. They're just looking. And two angels appear, and they say in verse 11, why are you just standing there looking at Jesus? I mean, why were they standing there just watching? And the answer is because the apostles, they took Jesus' ascension as his absence, the absence of Jesus, the absence of his presence, the absence of his intimacy, the absence of his shepherding spirit, the absence of his leadership, as distance. He's leaving us now. Like, what now? What do we do now? So he just kind of stood there, powerless, inactive, watching. And these angels appear, and they say, look at you guys. You're powerless. What are you doing? You're just kind of stuck there, gazing into the sky and inactive. 
and it's because you still don't get Jesus. He's been with you for 40 days teaching you the meaning of the resurrection, and you still don't get him. But see, at some point in this passage in Luke chapter 24, it says at the end, they went back to Jerusalem, and they were worshiping, and they were praising, and they had great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. And that's the end of the book of Luke. So right here, just before they left to return to Jerusalem, just before uh, there was this explosion of worship and joy, they were just standing there, powerless, watching. They're just on the brink here. That's what we're seeing. They're just on the brink. And in Luke, Luke chapter 24, verse 52, we see right at the end, it leads them to this explosion. It's this moment when it hits them. The trigger goes off. This is the shot that's heard around the world. They didn't end up, uh, it didn't end up being the absence of Jesus, the absence of his intimacy, the absence of his shepherding, the absence of his leadership. It actually becomes the sustained, powerful presence of Jesus, the infinite presence of Jesus, the infinite presence of his intimacy and his shepherding and his leadership is what gave them great joy. The ascension, the ascension of Jesus it not only sets off and releases the power of the gospel, but it magnifies it and it applies it to his people with power. And unless you have an understanding of what that means for you, I mean, we confess through the Apostles' Creed, what? That Jesus ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Unless you really get what that means, you will have a powerless life. And the angels are really asking, what are you doing? What are you doing right now? For the disciples, the ascension, the ascension of Jesus was supposed to be like pulling the power uh, from them, but it actually ended up endowing them with a greater power. That's the importance of it. Now, what is it? What's the meaning behind it? The Apostles' Creed really nails, uh, uh, nails it on the head here because the ascension of Jesus has a double meaning. You see, when you ascend... It can mean two things. One, you physically ascend. You spatially ascend to a higher place. Now, if you've been to the church before, even as a child, if you've gone to church before, you know God doesn't live in the sky. He doesn't live in the sky. The Bible's not saying that Jesus is now sitting at the top of the stairs and we're sitting at the bottom of the stairs. That's not what he's saying. It's not just a physical ascension. In Luke chapter 24, verse 51, in Acts chapter 1, verse 2, it says he was taken up to heaven, not taken up to the heavens, to the skies. That's not, that's not what it says. Yes, there was a physical ascension, but he ascended into heaven. And so secondly, to ascend can also be a relational ascension to a higher position, to a higher power, a higher place of authority. You ascend to a place of authority, a different status and relationship. When Jesus Christ ascended, think about this, he still had a body. He was still a man. What does that mean? That means he gets you. He understands you. Jesus lived a perfect life. He perfectly obeyed the law of God which we would never be able to fulfill on our own. And then he died the penalty for our failures and our sins. And then he rose again and he defeated death. That's the resurrection. And now he's glorified. So when he ascended before, as a man, he was limited. He could only be at one place at a time. Now he's on the throne. 
the right hand of the throne of God. He's a king of kings. He has ascended to the highest position in heaven, the highest position of power. And now that means that Jesus Christ can execute. He can apply his will. He can apply and bestow his power and benefits and the blessings of the gospel everywhere and anywhere he chooses because he is king. But the disciples at the resurrection, they didn't quite get that. Remember Mary Magdalene? At the resurrection, Mary Magdalene, she thought that someone stole, someone took Jesus' body. His body was missing. But when Mary Magdalene finally recognized Jesus and that he was alive, what did she do? She tried to hold on to Jesus. What did Jesus say? He said, Mary, don't hold on to me. Why? He says, Mary, don't hold on to me. I have not yet returned. I have not yet ascended to the Father. You have to understand, when Jesus died, it was like Mary's life was over. When Jesus died, it's like Mary died. When Jesus was lost, it's like Mary, she has lost everything because Jesus Christ was everything to Mary. So when she lost Jesus, it was like she lost her life. But now Jesus is alive, and so she wants to cling to Jesus. And she's, it's like she's saying, I'm never, ever going to let you out of my sight. I am never going to let you go. And Jesus is saying, Mary, you're afraid to let me go because you're afraid to lose me again. But I'm going to ascend to the Father. You have to let me ascend to the Father. Don't hold on to me here. I'm going to ascend to the Father. And when I do, now we can have even greater intimacy. You will never, ever lose me again. Here, I'm just in one place at a time. I can't be with you everywhere you are. But once I ascend, I will be everywhere and anywhere you are. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're doing spiritually poor. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what kind of suffering you're enduring. My presence can be everywhere, and it can be experienced then everywhere. How do you get That's the meaning of the ascension. It went from Jesus being at one place at a time to now sitting on God's throne at the right hand of the Father and being able to execute and be present anywhere and everywhere, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, he understands. He knows. He's present with you. How do you get this kind of power? Where do you get this kind of power? In verse 11, the angels, they explain the meaning of the ascension. They say, this same Jesus that you see leaving is coming back just as he left. In other words, Jesus is now at the right hand of God. And so that means he is king. That means he is ruling. That means he has power. He has all authority. And it can be applied everywhere and anywhere. And the disciples, they knew him. They were intimate with him. Now they're saying anyone can know him. Anyone can know him and anyone can be intimate with him. Before, it was a chosen few who would be the apostles and disciples. Now, anyone can be a disciple. The kingdom of God is now advancing anywhere. Nothing is going to stop it. Jesus said in Matthew 16 that that my kingdom is advancing and it's charging the gates of Hades. You can be on the offense now because I have won. There's this release now of the kingdom. Jesus is at the right hand of God uh, and he is king. When he says that, the disciples in verse 6, they ask, will you now establish the kingdom? They still don't get it. In verse 8, how does Jesus respond? He says, you will receive power. 
you will be my witnesses. In other words, the disciples are asking, so wait, are you going to now show yourself to the world that you're alive? Jesus says, no, you are going to show me to the world that I'm alive. They're asking, are you going to finally bring justice to an end? And Jesus is saying, no, you are going to bring justice to the world now. They're saying, are you going to bring healing to the world, your healing? Jesus is saying, no, you are going to bring my healing to the world. They're saying, Jesus, are you now going to bring kingly restoration and kingly order to the world? Jesus says, no, you are going to bring my kingly rule and authority and restoration to the rest of the world. Do you get it? In other words, because he ascended, now Jesus is not just present with his people, he will be present through his people, always. That means he's not just with you when you're there. He's there working through you when you're there. That's the power. That's the power. In other words, if God's people are teaching, Jesus is teaching through them. If God's people are counseling others, Jesus is counseling. If God's people are, are admonishing or correcting or, or working and sitting with you and you're experiencing some sort of encouragement and strength, it's not because you have such a good friend, although you do. It's because Jesus is speaking through your friend, through his word, and that's shaping you because it's his spirit that's working. That's the power. That means anyone can be a disciple. That means anyone can teach. Because God's, God is working, and it's his power that is moving through you, where you are, to the lives of other people. He says, you will go to the ends of the earth as my representatives. Always. If a church is present in the city, serving and providing, doing works of justice, that means Jesus is present. He's not just present with them. He is serving. He is doing the work of providing. He is opening the hearts. He is making things happen according to his sovereign will as king and according to his purpose. He is present doing that work through you. We are his witnesses. Now think about this. Just a little while before, the disciples, they betrayed Jesus. And now he's saying, you are my representatives. Where do you get the power to do this? Jesus Christ had forgiven them. And he entrusted them to represent him, to sustain his mission. There are a lot of people in the church, they hear the gospel, and you sit in the church, and you know what you're doing? You're, you're, you're sitting there, and you hear the gospel, and you say, yeah, I believe this, but your lives are just powerless. You know what you're doing? You're just inactive. You're just gazing at the sky. You're just waiting for something miraculous to happen to you. As if this power is just going to come and, and hit you. And now, like, you're going to be, like, you're going to ascend to this different place. You know what you're doing? You're still working. Either on one hand, you're, some of you are just powerless and you're just kind of inactive and just gazing. Other people are, you're, you're assertive and you're aggressive and you want to work and you want to serve and you want to lead and you want to teach and you want to be all these things. But it's about Jesus' presence working through you. It's about being meek and sustaining the humility of Jesus, the meekness of Jesus, obeying Jesus, listening to his word, having that shape you, and then being in community with people so that it would shape them. A lot of us are just kind of staring out in the sky and we see Jesus ascending physically, 
but you're not ascending to the throne. So, but he is not ascended to the throne in a sense. So you don't see the power of his ascension. And so you're just kind of there and you're, and Jesus still seems absent and distant and there's like no power because, and the reason why the angels, it's because you still don't get it. You really don't get it. Where do you get that kind of power? You have to know that before Jesus ascended to heaven, before Jesus ascended to the throne, he first ascended to the cross. He ascended to a hill called Calvary and he died. On John chapter, in John chapter 12, before he was arrested, Jesus tells his disciples, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He's not talking about the ascension there. John explains, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. In other words, before his ascension to the throne, Jesus first ascended to his death, to the cross. And on that cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what he's doing? He's looking out. He's looking out and he's saying, he's saying, I'm powerless. I've lost power. He's saying, where there was once intimacy, now I've lost intimacy. Where there was closeness to the Father, the Spirit of God has departed from me. I've lost it. I'm looking out and I see distance. It's as if God has passed beyond the clouds and has forgotten about me. And so now I've truly lost power. You know, for Jesus' apostles, his physical absence, it led to a burst of power in the world. Why? Because for Jesus Christ, the forensic absence of the Father drained him of the power. He's saying, I've lost the presence of the Father. Why? So that you can have the presence of the Father. I've been emptied of and drained of my power. Why? So that you can have sustaining, lasting power. I've sacrificed the throne. I've sacrificed my status. I've sacrificed my worth. Why? So that now you have authority, the authority of the king. You have great worth. You have great status in him. And yet, do you know, even as he was losing power, even as he, his life was just ruined, I mean, you never recover from being crucified on a cross. In those ancient times, if you were crucified, that is the end of your reputation. It is the end of your friends. It is the end of your life. And you will be regarded in history as one who is cast out. And yet, even as that was happening to him, look at his humility. Look at Jesus, he's never proud, even while on the cross. Never proud, never vengeful, never malicious. In fact, he's forgiving people on the cross. He's talking to the criminal and saying, today you will be with me. He's talking and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's looking at his, his mother, Mary, and making sure that she's cared for. He's looking at John, his disciple, and making sure that he's cared for. And basically what he's doing is giving, and he's emptying, he's pouring out, and he's sacrificing. He's losing everything. He's losing his life, yet never one hint, hint of arrogance or anger or pride. Look at the confidence of Jesus, still trusting his life into the Father's hand, even as forensically, legally, God has been separated from him. Look at his patience and his poise. By the time he got to the cross, he was ready to execute the duty of the high priest. You read that in the call to worship, that Jesus is our great high priest, and he sat down at the throne of God. You know what that means? The high priest, I think our presider said the high priest never sat down because the work was never finished. So when he was doing his duties, he was always doing it standing. 
Jesus Christ now ascends to the throne and he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. You know why? Because he said, it is finished. The work is done. The debt is paid. Salvation is here. And that power is going to run through the world for my people. That's what he's saying. Jesus isn't just a priest. He's a king. As a priest, he understands. As a king, he has the authority to pardon and to give power. He is a priestly king. Look at the submission of Jesus. He prays, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Always submitting to, submitted, submitting to the Father. Jesus Christ, he lived the life that you should live and died the death that you should die. And the Spirit of God left Jesus so that he would dwell in his people, in us, in you. That is ultimate. You can't get more intimate than that. And now he ascends to the right hand of the throne of God so that we would be his representatives. How do you apply that? What are the implications? One, how does the presence of Jesus, how does the power of Jesus, how does the power of the gospel strengthen you in real life circumstances? I'm gonna ask you an honest question. When you're in the office, do you know what people say about you? Do you know what people think about you when you're in the office? Do they say, I mean, he says he's a Christian. I mean, do you even say you're a Christian? But he says he's a Christian, but when something goes wrong, the first thing he does, his knee-jerk reaction is to cover himself first. He doesn't care who he throws under the bus. When something goes wrong, he's so quick to blame other people. When things don't go his way, he freaks out. When, when she fails, the first thing she does is complain or blame the circumstances or spin the story. Oh, he is driven. Oh, she is ruthless. Oh, he's a killer. She's a shark. She's a wolf. In other words, what they're really saying is, I mean, they say they're Christians, but they're just like us. Jesus Christ says, you are my witnesses. You know what that means? When you lack integrity, Jesus lacks integrity. When you lack generosity, Jesus lacks generosity. When you're arrogant in the office, Jesus is arrogant. When you're a jerk to other people, Jesus is a jerk. You get that? The more you see the ascended Jesus on the throne, the more that should bring you down to earth. It makes you winsome in character. Secondly, look at your gifts. All of you here, incredibly gifted, incredibly talented. Look at your gifts. You have great minds, very intelligent people in this room, very strategic thinkers, super creative people. Some of you are gifted just relationally, amazing empathy and relational uh, capacity. And that gives birth to many, many opportunities on many different dimensions. So many opportunities. And yet, I'm going to ask you, who gave you these gifts? Who gave you your mind? Who gave you your creativity? Who gave you even your relational capacities? Who gave you these gifts? What are you doing with them? Most of us, what we do with these gifts is we build our own kingdoms. 
We use it to show ourselves. We use it to um, build our careers, build our families, build our portfolios, our retirement portfolios. That's powerless. It's going to come to an end. God is calling you to build his kingdom, to represent him. There is no insecurity in Jesus. Jesus Christ is not worried about tomorrow because he's already at the end of tomorrow. Jesus Christ is not sitting there thinking about job security. He is the eternal and lasting the Alpha and the Omega. God is calling you to build his kingdom. And the gospel then is going to give you a radical meekness and a radical humility because you are chosen and we did nothing to deserve that. So the gospel makes you winsome in character. The gospel makes you meek and humble. But the gospel also gives you an amazing confidence. Why? Because what you have in you is more powerful than anything the world has ever seen, anything that the world has ever experienced. Your words, that mean, have power. It means it has power. Your words to call out sin using the Bible. Your words through the Bible, through God's word, to bring clarity to a person who is often spiritually super confused. Your words to strengthen and encourage people. It's one thing to say, you know, when a person says, I don't feel very ugly today. I don't feel that very pretty today. And you say, oh, but you're so pretty. That's not going to encourage them. That's not going to encourage them if they really get that, if they really, if it's deep in their soul but to talk to them about a love that will never die, to speak to them about a power that will never end, to speak to them about a love and a shepherd and a lover who will always be there and love you with an everlasting love no matter how you feel, no matter how you look, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, that is a love that lasts. That is a power. To strengthen them in that way through God's word. Your words of power. And yet we're so afraid of our words. We're so afraid of, oh, what if they reject me? We're so afraid of, we're powerless. We're super powerless and fearful of how we're going to be received. First of all, we serve a God. We serve a Jesus. You know how he was received? We just celebrated that last week, and that was the source of power. And you're afraid of getting rejected? A lot of us say, well, what right do I have? I mean, do you know where I've been? Do you know my history? What right do I, I mean, do you know my life? I'm terrible. I, I live a, I'm living a terrible life right now. Thank God it doesn't even hinge and rely on your goodness. It relies on Jesus' goodness. It doesn't rely on your record. It relies on Jesus' record. It doesn't rely on your righteousness. It relies on Jesus' righteousness. Jesus never said that when you become a Christian, you're going to become more articulate about the gospel. He never said it was going to rely on your goodness. He said, you are my witnesses. You are my representatives. He was betrayed by his friends to the point of death. You think he doesn't know about our failures and our weaknesses? The gospel is not about what you accomplished. It's about what Jesus accomplished. And because it doesn't rely on your goodness, that gives you the power to speak with authority because the gospel is true. It's real. And because it's true, fourth, 
it gives you an unshakable poise in the face of suffering and rejection. Here's Acts chapter 7. A few chapters later, you have Stephen. He's about to get stoned to death. He's about to get stoned to death because he's a Christian. He's got every reason to be afraid. He's standing before this council, and they've got rocks in their hands, essentially. But then he looks up, and you know what the text says? He looks up, and he sees Jesus at the right hand of God. In other words, literally, as he's standing there with these people, he sees above that the ascended Jesus on the throne. That's what he sees. He sees the ascension. And that gave him a radical confidence. Because even though his body is about to become crushed, he knows that Jesus is the king and Jesus is advocating for him and championing him and he welcomes him. How does he respond? On one hand, he's not afraid to call out their sinfulness. He still calls out their sin and their injustice. He's got tremendous confidence. We already talked about that. The gospel gives you a tremendous confidence. But on the other hand, it says, he says, I see heaven open. What is he seeing? He sees Jesus with his arms open. Jesus' presence in the midst of his suffering was so real that injustice and we, I mean, nowadays we see injustice in our world and injustice is real. It's happening all the time, right? You know that. But the thing is we crumble at it. We just fall apart. We get so angry and we, or we fall apart on the other end with despair. Stephen looks at the injustice he's about to endure and it's inconsequential to him. He's about to be executed and he's poised. Lastly, it gives you tremendous submission. Jesus Christ now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the place of the prime minister. That's the place of the executive operating officer, essentially. And so that means that he's at the highest position in heaven. He's the one doing the work. He's sovereign. He's in control. But because he's a man, because he's a human, he gets you. He knows you. He's been there. He understands. You have a king who understands. You have a king who knows you and gets you and loves you and is willing to sacrifice the entire kingdom for you, which means he treasures you. And now he rules. He is in control because he ascended. And he's saying that everything he does, he's doing for you. That means that because he's a prophet, every word of counsel Every word in that Bible, every challenge in that Bible, every warning in that Bible is for you. That means you've got to listen to him. Because he's a priest, he became a sacrifice for you. That means we have to worship him. Because he's a king, he's ruling right now for you. You may see moment to moment the suffering, the hardships. That means that everything, it's not just happening for a reason. He's doing it for you. You may not understand why, especially when things are going crazy and they're going wrong, but God is doing 10,000 things for his glory and for your good. And that means that his, what he's doing and his glory and the good that it's doing for you is all intertwined in his love for you. You can trust him. You can bow down before him. You can obey him. If you don't get the cross of Jesus, you will not get the ascension of Jesus. And if you don't get the ascension of Jesus, then you won't have power. And you can't be his witness. You can't be his representative. 
That means you're not going to have the humility and the power and the confidence and the patience and the poise and the submission. Do you get the ascension? Because if you don't get the ascension, what you're going to be doing is you're just going to be working and working and slaving and filled with anxiety or because you still feel like you need to do it on your own. And so what you're going to do is you're going to try to control your life and you're going to battle God and you're going to battle other people. And what you want in the end is to be lifted up. You want to ascend on your own. You want power on your own. You want to be noticed on your own. You want to be exalted on your own. You're the one that wants to be magnified. You're the one that wants to be advanced. Do you get the ascension? The ascension is the end of battling God for power. You're actually not battling other people. You're battling God. You're able to submit. You're able to trust. You're able to obey. You're able to give. There are people in the room that says, well, yeah, I'm learning to give of my time. I'm learning to give of my hospitality, but I'm never going to touch my bank account. Look, if you haven't given everything to Jesus... You haven't given anything to Jesus. You're going to be filled with anxiety. You're going to be working hard, just doing everything on your own, and you can't. It's going to ruin you. It's going to tire you out and burn you out. I want to encourage you, friends. Stop standing and looking at the sky as if God is so distant from you. Jesus Christ has ascended to the throne and now his power is being released everywhere to his people. Live into that. Let's pray.